This is the Blossom of Thought podcast, a podcast about the body, mind, and soul. And your host is Impilo Kambule. In this episode, Kate Miyambi joins me today for a chat. Kate is a founder of the Hungry Medium podcast. She has a professional career spanning over 30 years and within every niche area in the field of marketing. A subject matter expert in digital marketing and demand generation strategies. Kate is deeply rooted in spirituality and the Yoruba Lukumi tradition. Kate, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Pilo. For a record, will you give us a background for the benefit of our listeners so that they may know what to anticipate uh, who is speaking. Oh, sure. So my name is Kat Niambi. I'm also known as the Hungry Medium. I'm a spiritual medium and a spiritual activist. I'm also a cannabis advocate, cancer survivor, mother of two beautiful young women, and I am currently a resident of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And you, when you say current, it means you come from somewhere. You're from New York, right? I'm from New York, honey. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. One of the busiest cities that I know in the U.S. Oh, yeah. And I understand that business there is more of cutthroat business. Oh, don't say that <laughs> Somebody about told us. me that. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that about us. But I did get, I did learn a lot of my business jobs, all of my business jobs by being a New Yorker, I would say. Well, um, I have a marketing background. I've been a marketing professional for over 30 years. And um, 20 of those years have been in the digital space. I've worked for some really um, well-known publishing companies um, as director of marketing, senior marketing. Uh, So basically I've been in the business for a really long time. And I was able to take advantage of the internet boom um, when it, um, it first exploded in the late 1990s, believe it or not. Well, that sounds like <laughs> a dream to me. Yes, <laughs> oh, yes. Boy. As early as in the 1900s, I mean, not the 1900s, in the <laughs> 1990s. <laughs> in the 90s in New York City during the internet Boom. It was an amazing time. A really amazing time. So you have not been affected by COVID-19, I take it, because you were not uh, so much uh, engaged or rooted in the brick and mortar uh, business style. Yes, that's right. In fact, um, a company I work for now, it's unfortunate, but um, fortunate. I work for a company that actually is thriving right now because it's um, the ed tech space. So the education technology space is doing really well right now um, because of remote learning. Um, And uh, the product that we market is for the K-12 market, kindergarten through 12th grade, um, helping um, young people learn how to read and also assisting schools and helping children with literacy and language. So it really actually is working out because we have programming for uh, children that are not in school. It's for use anywhere. So really assist in remote learning. What's the secret to marketing or the secret to marketing, generally speaking? Because I was on, was it Pinterest? I saw that it was so diverse. There are so many products that you are advertising and there's just a lot of activity. It seems like there's just some genius in you about marketing. Well, I would say the the biggest um, plus is knowing who your audience is um, Mm. and being able to segment them and target and also to automate 
your um, marketing communications to that audience. Let's talk about vegan and vegetarian. You have adopted that and yes. that seems to link with you surviving cancer and yes. had to follow a special a diet in order to reverse cancer. Not very many people are able to do that. A lot of people have gone uh, under chemo. You know how the experience is. It's end up killing the cells and it becomes a, a terrible experience. I understand not from experience, but uh, from just hearing people and just following up on, on that. So will you talk about uh, your experience of reversing cancer in your body? Well, I wouldn't say... I'm reversing cancer, but what I'm doing is fighting against the return of cancer. Mm -hmm. So in 2012, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, stage two. Um, along That was part of the first stage of my real spiritual awakening um, because I was given the opportunity um, financially uh, to further my spiritual practice. The plant-based diet really came because after my diagnosis, I did go through chemo, I did go through radiation, and I did follow the doctor's orders and take a particular medication for five years every day. Mm. Um, and the medication was a, on top of the recovering from chemo and, reg and radiation, the medication was debilitating. Um, it has some. It had some side effects. So after five years, I was at my doctor because I went to my doctor very regularly, the oncologist. And then at the five year mark, it was like a big deal for me. It was like an anniversary. Wow, I don't have to take this medicine anymore. And he and the nurse stood there and told me, you know what? Uh, this medicine has been shown to have better effects if you take it for 10 years. And I looked at them and I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So in not. other words, you were saying you guys, I mean, these guys were saying start afresh and go for another five years. Oh, go for another five years. It's all pharmaceutical, blah, blah, blah. So I said, no, thank you. I will not be taking this medicine for another five years. And I decided to, um, it took me a while um, I had been doing this plant-based off and on, um, but then I watched this film called What the Health, and I was convinced that going plant-based would be the best thing that I could do to take control of my own well-being without depending on pharmaceuticals, um, you know? So uh, the plant-based diet, I had tried it a few times. The hardest thing not to do for me at the beginning was uh, to eliminate cheese. So, you know, I'm also, I'm called the hungry medium for a reason. I named myself the hungry medium because I'm always hungry and I love to eat. I love to eat. I have no shame in that. Doesn't and like to eat because we, we all love to eat. You said you don't like to eat. Some people are just okay with eating regular food. I like really good food and cheese is a part of that. So out of think, all the things, yes. What were you going to say? No, I was just saying, I think we are from the same tribe because I love <laughs> cheese. And and guess what? What? You made me watch the documentary you, you are speaking about. Oh, I, I've been yes. watching it the past two days or so. I'm Did like, you? Mm, <laughs> this is interesting. Yes. Nothing new under the sun for me because I'm always in the lookout. You know, by the way, I'm from Africa. So I yes. in a space where... There wasn't a lot of this kind of food, the GMO and all these quick fix, right. you know, formulas right. when it comes to food. 
So uh, since I've been in the US, I, I've been very vigilant and trying to see what I'm eating because I realize when I'm not mindful, I end up getting a lot of weight and I lose my body in a sense because it's heavy. So oh, yes. I, I, I've been mindful of that. But please go ahead and talk about that. Yes. So I still eat a lot of food. Yes. I mean, I had an addiction to cheese um, and I call it an addiction because there's a chemical in cheese that is called casein and it actually makes you addicted to it. That's why we love cheese so much. And without getting gross, um, there's a lot of problems with dairy here in this country, at least. I can't say for any other country, but here in particular in the United States, there's, first of all, the treatment of animals is very cruel. If you think about what cow's milk really is, I won't get into the details, but if you really think about what cow's milk is and then the processing it takes to get it to your shelf, I think a lot of people don't want to know. It's almost like see no evil, hear no evil when it comes mm -hmm. to food here. And Ignorance then is please. Yes, exactly. And also there's some definite food, um, in, there's some food politics that are also involved. Um, however, the plant-based industry is growing rapidly here in the States. And thankfully so, um, the carbon imprint that um, animal processing leaves on our um, environment is super harmful. Um, and I think it's something we need to pay attention to as well. Now, uh, the only thing that I've added a little bit here and there is I will have some fish every once in a while um, just because I crave it. And I said, I'm not going to deny my cravings. Life is too short, as I know. So every once in a while, I'll do that. But for the most part, it's 95, 99% plant-based diet. Quite interesting. I'm just thinking about that today. It seems like yeah, we are under attack from the multinational uh, companies and mm -hmm. in the US and the, the local companies here that are controlling what we eat. And yeah. one of the things that we have lost, it seems like we've lost the freedom to choose what to eat and what not to eat because of what you were saying. Mm -hmm. What? It's called casein. Yeah. I was speaking about in the documentary. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that brings you back. I think in this, that's the same thing with uh, soda. You keep on wanting to have more. Today, have, we breathe dirty air. We mm -hmm. drink dirty water. Mm -hmm. We eat dirty food. To me, it seems like we have lost almost the last ultimate freedom. Through these three, I think you are dying. Mm -hmm. So as you speak about it, I'm like, uh, we are in really serious trouble. I don't know how we're going to dark and dive around it and try mm -hmm. and survive because we have to grow our own food we have to grow our own food but the challenge there we do not all have the expertise to find exactly. out the natural seeds exactly it seems like what i was saying these multinational companies they were roaming the earth like the devil in fact they flooded almost every country with these GMO seeds such that sometimes it's hard to tell the natural seed from the GMO seed. Oh, yeah. You as know about the farmers. Fact, just, as a matter of fact, we've just continued to eat, not realizing that we have our food contaminated. Well, people don't care. A lot of people just don't care. And a lot of people, like you said, don't have access to, um, first of all, they don't have access to the information. Mm. Um, and they don't have access to the good food. A lot of people live in food deserts where all they have are McDonald's and fast mm. food restaurants around them. 
and it's quick and it's easy. Um, you're working really hard. You don't have time to, to make food for your children. There are no do decent um, farmer's markets or fresh food available. So sometimes it's just um, your situation and where you live and your socioeconomic status in regards, you know, as to whether you will get fresh food or not. And that is, to me, a big travesty. I think that's one of the, the problems as you were speaking about the social or economic status that a lot of people find themselves in such that they are not able to get the right food. First problem is just having the information because that's yes. the key thing. And I yes. understand somebody was saying in the documentary, the name of the game is confusion. Just making sure that you are confused. What is it that I should eat? What is I should eat? Oh, yeah. When you're in that state of affairs, that's the name of the game they've got you. Well, look about the look at the foundations that they have stamped on products, making you think that the product is a healthy product, like um, the Susan G. Coleman Foundation for Breast Cancer, you know, the little pink mm. ribbon. So you get that and you're like, oh, this is going to help support, you know, the, the fight against cancer. Yet it is all the ingredients in the thing are potentially harmful to you in terms of um, adding more risk to your diet. The dairy situation is a huge risk to your body. And uh, these companies, they try to um, pull on your heartstrings, you know, make you mm. sentimental. Well, at the same time, they're deceiving you. Just to move on a little bit, mm -hmm. Hippocrates said, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. You spoke about that. You told the doctors that after five years, I'm no longer taking the medication. Some way I feel inspired from within to go in a certain direction. Take it from there and continue how the experience uh, was as you moved forward independent of the doctor's advice. Mm -hmm. Now, let me be clear. I still go to the doctor. I still mm -hmm. get checkups. I still, because it is my belief that even though you decide to take your health into your own hands, you can't do a diagnostic, right? You still need to get the scans. I still need to get mammograms. I still need to go see a doctor um, to make sure that I'm being successful in what I'm doing. And for the past uh, five years, since I decided not to take that medication, so that was 2017, so we're so about four years in and everything is fine. So I'm a cancer survivor, you know, I'm a cancer survivor and I really believe that um, changing the way that I eat, I could exercise a lot more, um, but changing the way I eat has dramatically changed and changed the trajectory of, um, I believe, my life force. I really believe that. Quite a fascinating story that you survived cancer through diet. And through I, prayer and through spirituality and through... I like that, the that they, of, there is some adherence to some power greater than you, not uh, trying to be clever or to think that you are self-sufficient. Yeah, oh, no. I think that's an important thing. I, li I would like us to talk about spirituality later on. Because okay. I, I, what I understand about diet, there was a doctor, in, a doctor in the 40s, I think his name is Walter Kempner, who fled uh, Nazi Germany, set up a shop at Duke University, where she mm -hmm. began treating 
you know, hypertension patients with a radical diet consisting of only white rice and fruit with striking favorable results. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about uh, that experience. There was a rapid reduction in blood pressure, rapid improvement in kidney failure, eye pressure, failure, and other manifestations of fatal illnesses. So it seems like there is uh, some value, and not only value, but some authority that you can reverse some of these terrible sicknesses that we have had recent decades through a radical diet. Oh yeah, absolutely. I believe, like you said, what Hippocrates said, food is definitely medicine. You can eat certain foods. I mean, you know, the biggest craze right now is uh, the sea moss. So <laughs> there's so many nutrients in sea moss, the Irish sea moss, that, mm. that um, you almost can't find the real thing anymore because it's, you know, the biggest craze. So there are definitely, you know, there are different mushrooms that have um, amazing properties. There's just so many things out there that people, I'm happy that people are becoming more and more aware of um, that can help them. But you, I don't think you can still eat like all this fast food and then try to also do those things. There's always balance, you know, there's gotta be balance somewhere. That's why you just can't lean to one side. Rice and fruit, I mean, yeah, of course. How could you go wrong there? But what about the joy of delicious seasonings and and different vegetables and all the things you can do to manipulate food if you just give it a chance? So sure, I mean, like I said, I'm hungry. I like food and... Um, I'm not going to deprive myself, you know, if, if I want something one time, you know what I mean? No, I don't think no. my extremes are not going to make you happy. Definitely. I, I, I don't think we should be seeking for perfection, but you want a steady diet that is healthy for sure. Balanced, yes. a balanced balance. Meal, because that's what the body wants other than just the cravings. It wants a balanced diet. Exactly. It, Let's talk about African spiritual tradition that you okay. ended up uh, tracing and they aroused something within you. Well, African tradition tradition found me. African spiritual tradition found this girl from Brooklyn. I think it is the birthright of all Black people around the world. We all originated from Africa. There are traditions that were stolen from us um, during the Middle Passage and colonization. I think that the survival of African traditional religions and spiritual traditions, the survival depends on us in the diaspora to keep them alive and keep them thriving. Especially now during COVID, we've seen a lot of people having awakenings in ancient traditions throughout the world where people are relying on meditation. People are looking to the practices that their ancestors um, had. And us, Black Americans and others throughout the diaspora outside of Africa, who whose ancestors went through the Middle Passage, specifically have had to keep this keep different traditions. The one that I practice is the Yoruba tradition. I am grateful to my ancestors for keeping this religion alive. But there was a disconnect because 
some of us uh, were sent to South America, right? To Brazil. Mm -hmm. Some of us were uh, shipped to Cuba and, you know, um, Haiti, Dominican mm, the Republic. Americas and the Caribbean. Exactly. And it really depended on who your enslaver was as to how this, how these different religions and traditions survive. The one that I practice has been transformed. It's Yoruba. It comes from Nigeria. Um, it is still practiced in different parts of um, Nigeria, but it has uh, made its way over here because of the Middle Passage. And it has survived because um, those particular enslavers um, were Catholic and they were able to, the enslaved, the enslaved Africans were able to hide the uh, tradition in saints, Catholic saints. So um, I wouldn't say that the enslaved Africans in the South didn't have the same opportunity, but if you, that was uh, run by the English, the Protestants, right? Mm. So there, there were no saints to hide your different Orishas in, you know, or your different deities in. So I'm still grateful because you know, God made a way for um, me to somehow be surrounded by this tradition here um, in the States in Brooklyn since I was six years old, six or seven years old, just because I was um, close to a family that was practicing religion, Black Americans who had found the religion through the movement, through the Black movement in the 70s. And that is how I came to be surrounded by the religion I wasn't practicing, though, until I was in my 40s, but I'd always been around it. I went to church just like a lot of other Black Americans here um, in New York and throughout the country. Um, I went to a Baptist church. My mother was from the South, so that's what she practiced, you know, mm. Baptist, Baptist religion. So, um, but there was always this aura of Orisha around me because of the close proximity I had to this family that um, I was very, very, I am very, very close to. You know, that you lived in, in New York and seemingly there, the, you didn't have to go through the hardly of hiding spirituality. No, <laughs> but you know, that's the funny thing about, it's just, and I don't mean ha-ha funny because I've always had, um, this religion is a religion and tradition that helps to enhance people spiritually and, and get you more in tune to your spirit guides and your ancestral guides, your ancestors and things of that nature. That is the, that is the foundation of this tradition. You know, I think, mm. I think it should be the foundation of all traditions is to venerate your ancestors and also play, pay close attention to the um, advices of your spirit guides. The thing is, I grew up in the church, but I was always filled with spirit. I was always connected to spirit, even since I was, I would say three, maybe even before that. But most recently, my parents are deceased, but most recently I was talking to my sister who was 19 when I was born. And I asked her what I was like as a little girl. And she said that I was very pensive, very deep. I spoke my mind, even didn't matter if the person was 
80 years old or 40 years old, I would just speak my mind. And to me, that is an example. If we see this in children, that's an example of a child who was tapped into spirit. Do you know children like that? Mm, I can't think of a particular one right now, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I am familiar with that. <laughs> yes. When you see a deep child who's always like staring or very um, observant, but also very adult, you see babies now just coming out with their eyes wide open, look like they're ready to talk. I think there's like, you know, I joke and I say they are not wasting time. You know, uh, the universe and God is not wasting time getting these babies out and these babies just being so advanced, so advanced. And what do you chalk that up to? Except for the fact that they're probably becoming out these days more tapped in to spirit. We already know that they're the closest, you know, on the two spectrums, you have the babies that are born and the elders that are dying. At those moments, those individuals are the most tapped in to spirit mm -hmm. um, that you probably would ever see because of the fact that you're coming to this earth and then you're also leaving this earth. So there's definitely some sort of connection at those at those times. Yeah, you are not trying to to be fancy uh, when you are in, in these two ends. The ego seemingly seems to be suppressed or limited in a sense, because most of the time we struggle with the ego. We want to be seen to be something, so we right. find ourselves, you know, limited from spiritual experiences. Yes, absolutely. Tell us about the, the spirituality uh, that you practice, Yoruba, which uh, traces back to Nigeria. What are the remarkable uh, benefits of that? Because I believe every philosophy exists and thrives because mm -hmm. there are benefits there. It is a tradition that is both communal and autonomous at the same time, if you could understand that. Mm. Um, it, the, it also, the, the tenet that I like to talk about the most is Iwapele, which means good character. And I remember being in church and I was also in the high school gospel choir. I mean, I was deep, okay, into Christianity at some point. And I remember saying to an elder in the community, I said, isn't it just good enough that we're good people? Isn't it? Isn't that good enough? Don't you think it's good enough that you're just good, good character? And they said, no. <laughs> <laughs> But I do it's, believe that we, we are good people. We come from yes. somewhere and we are going to some place. We are really good. But good character. I, I just thought it was okay when I was a Christian that it was just, it was fine if I was just a good person and with good character. But maybe it was just this person that wasn't good enough. They wanted you to be saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. And I like the filled with the Holy Ghost part, though. Mm. Um, however, in this tradition, um, when I say it's communal, it's mean that it means that I have a community of people that I practice with. Um, we do ceremony together. We pray together. It's like it's like my family. They're my family. They are my, yes, yes. They're my Ocha family, Ocha. So the Ocha is related to um, Orisha. 
So this is the autonomous part. That this is the individualized part. Mm-hmm. Is that I have a path. I have a source and soul's mission. And this tradition knows that we don't all have to do the same things. You know, it. you have what you have to do. You were brought here on earth. You have to do. I have something I have to do. She has, see, he, everyone has something they have to do to further their path. And that's what I love about the tradition. It's both communal and individualized because I know that there are certain things that I need to get done and what those things are, are private to me and who I don't mind telling, you know, Mm -hmm. because a story is written, um, instructions are given to each and every one of us individually. Um, And that's what I love about it. But then I also love the fact that we get together for drummings, you know, we get to venerate our ancestors together, we get to dance, we get to sing together. Um, It's a beautiful tradition. It's filled with love. It's filled with honesty. Woo, it's filled with honesty. Um, Oh, my God. so much honesty. I, I mean, you have to be, able, and it is really a test of the ego. A huge, this practice tests the ego beyond the limits. But isn't it that uh, the whole of life in our communities, as we have heard it, I mean, uh, the racial experience is one of community and also individuated uh, self. Because yes. it seems like that's what it is. I I know from uh, the African tradition, we live in a community. I have heard uh, so many people come in into the show, some of them uh, who are Caucasians, who are Americans, who have been to Africa. And the one experience that they treasure is the idea that in, in Africa, we move or live in a group or community. And we, we work so hard to keep that. That's our tradition. And everybody never comes in there never touches down in Africa and leaves without going through that experience. But apart from that, everyone thinks differently, has his or her own self that is distinct from anyone else. And it makes me think of one of the African-American rappers who was saying, before me, there was none. And I will also add that after you, there will be none too. (laughs) That's suggesting the individual. But it's true. Even twins, identical twins have their own, you know, individuality. Their DNA may be the same, but they have their own unique character in many, you know, ways. So they're, we're all unique. We're all made differently. We're all molecularly um, different in every way. So how can you practice and, and try to attain or follow your path the same way someone else is following theirs Mm. or following the path that someone wants you to follow. That's control. And it it has never had a good ending. (laughs) Absolutely not. Yeah. You leaving Christianity and adopting spirituality, what made you feel like you need to drop one and adopt the other? Mm -hmm. I, I think anybody listening will want to understand there are so many philosophies today, gurus in, as far as spirituality is concerned, mm-hmm. they are mystic, you know, all kinds of philosophies that have got a following. 
uh, which is quite uh, interesting. And that's mm. just diversity, that's just the human experience. So mm. will you tell us about the, the difference and what made you leave and found and found that the other was more valuable than the first? Wow, that's a really, really good question. What I'd like to say is that um, I was led by spirit and I went willingly and wholeheartedly without any fear. But that's not what happened. Um, I was definitely called to this religion, like I told you, at a very early age, always surrounded by it just through my affiliations. But I was going to church and I f- was following the rules of my mother, um, Ibaye, Emma Middleton. Um, she, um, want, she, I was almost like her last ditch effort because her other kids weren't going to church, you know, my older brothers and sisters. So I was the one, I was the youngest and I went with her. I liked church. I loved the singing. I loved watching people catch the spirit. It was my favorite, you know, other kids were like laughing and I'd be the one going, wow, look at that. Mm-hmm. So I would like to say that the move was a slow move, but it was um, everything in its time. Um, The reason, when I was a teenager, I was still in the gospel choir, still singing and still praising the Lord. And, but it never felt, I never felt connected to Mm -hmm. the Lord. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I felt connected to God. I just never felt connected to Jesus. Um, And I didn't really like the dogma, you know, Mm. of Christianity. It just didn't ring true to me. So when I use the word ring, that really is a word that is synonymous with tapping into spirit. I didn't feel tapped in to Christianity, but I felt tapped into something. Just, I mean, I tried a few other things. I tried chanting at -hmm. some point. Um, you know, t- I looked at Buddha- Buddhism for two or three seconds, and then I just decided, oh, maybe I'd just be, you know, agnostic and just not do anything. And, you know, I. And somehow it didn't become a good idea. <laughs> no, it's kind of lazy in my, in my opinion. It's kind of lazy. I really feel like, once again, the sense of community is necessary. I don't, I, I particularly am not made to do spiritual practices by myself, you know, that lone wolf kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so um, the switch came, well, my mother and father were gone. My father wasn't religious at all. He was actually agnostic. Um, I, the the change and the pull came thanks to my brother. Um, And I write about it in a journal, journal article Um, called Spiritual Activism on the Streets at the Shrines. Mm -hmm. And my brother was a huge um, uh, Black Power Movement member. And um, he was a, um, he was a, uh, sorry, I'm losing it right now. He was a Black Panther. Um, Mm -hmm. He was always involved, you know, during his college years. So um, even though I was surrounded by this religion, he wasn't really involved in the religion in the same way that my friend's family was. Mm-hmm. And after my mother passed away and, um, and after I had my children, 
I just knew it was it. It spirit really did call to me, but there was always a fear of um, being seen as doing a weird thing. Like, what you're going to practice an African religion? What do you know about African religion? And people are going to make fun of you, and they're going to say you're practicing voodoo. There's such a stigmatism around African traditions and religions mm -hmm. that I didn't want to be um, labeled a weirdo. So what, instead of, and I would rephrase it, what drew me to the religion, I would say what kept me away from the religion so long. I, I would pose it that way. Mm -hmm. And what kept me away from it from so long, even though it was calling me and calling me was fear, was fear, plain and simple. Even when I decided to get involved, I still kept it secret from members of my family. Um, I didn't have my children engage in any of the practices because mm. um, I just wanted them to choose, you know, what they did. I didn't want them dragged to church or like I was, you know what I mean? Mm. So mm. I didn't involve them. But eventually over time and in being involved, I saw the miracles in my own life and other people's lives. I noticed a difference in my feelings about myself mm. as an individual, the empowerment this tradition has given me to move forward. Every, every day I'm evolving. But the interesting thing is uh, that your experience and characteristic of somebody who is finding gold, who is finding something that is treasurable. We usually get excited. We want to go to our loved ones because we've just found a new world that is having or seem to be having all these eternal promises in a sense. Mm. And mm. so to speak, platinum or whatever way you want to characterize this. So we always want to bring our family members, our friends. Right. A Christian family, you want to mm -hmm. get disciples. I think that's just mm -hmm. what happens when we go through this. We want to help bring converts, not just so that we can have an ego and say, oh, well, I'm the man, look at how men have brought. It's more of the excitement and you don't want to be selfish about this. So it seems like you had the opposite. You were like you wanted to hide. I don't know whether fear is fear <laughs> you overwhelmed you somehow well you know what it is as well um it's the stigmatism hmm. this is a, also a tradition we laugh about it actually we don't prostitutize <laughs> we just don't you won't find us on the corner mm -hmm. preaching telling people come on come on come on you won't you just won't this is not just me this is a lot of us we don't go out there, just the fact that I'm on the internet now in um, different social medias, um, talking on video and, and, and I guess you call it spreading the word. Um, what I really, really love about this relig religion is the delineation between spirit work with, you know, uh, guides, protectors and ancestors, and then the Orisha work. First of all, you you can't have the Orisha work in your life without doing the spiritual work. You have to get approval from your ancestors before you do anything, right? So I wouldn't say that the spirit work is, uh, ancestral work is my favorite part. I would say that it is 
prominent. And Arisha are just, they have, Arisha has done so much for me. It saved my life. Um, what is Arisha? I'm, I'm, I'm left behind there. That's going oh, so my head. They're the deities. They're the deities. Uh, oh, it's just a name for a deity. Oh, a group of well, deities. Well, a group of deities. Exactly. Orisha. That's what they're called from the, um, the Yoruba tradi- tradition. Mm-hmm. So without getting into many details mm-hmm. on that, uh, I just wanted to say that there was this delineation and we don't go out there recruiting people. We just don't, especially from the line that I come from. It's just not practice because mm-hmm. it's not, we know already that this is not for everyone. You know what I mean? It's just not mm-hmm. for everyone. <laughs> everyone is not going to embrace it. Then that, because uh, when you say it's not for everyone, it's like, oh, no, no, no. It's just for children. So like, we don't want anybody to come in here. We are having <laughs> a special dinner place. <laughs> No, 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 no. Uh, you come only by invitation. You've not been invited. No, 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 no. I wouldn't say that. I know that. you don't mean that. No, no, no. I know. I want to make sure. No, no. It's just that Um, once again, it's your path, right? It's about your unique path. So if you, you literally, it either comes through your blood. Like if your mother and father involved in this, then you your mother and father are going to, just like my mother did, your mother and father are going to bring you to um, engagements and drummings and ceremonies, right? So that's your religion. But it also calls to you. This religion calls to you. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, it is divined. There's divination. There's all sorts of ways to find out. Because, you know, I have friends that I meet. And they saw the changes that were happening. See, that's how you, that's how you get them. They see mm. the changes, you know. And then you're they're like, oh, I'd like to. I'm interested in what you're doing. Oh, okay. And that's when you you know start talking. But right now, there's a lot of people who are interested in finding um, their path in this tradition. It has different aspects of it. There's different ways you, um, avenues you can take with even within what you would think is a very niche um, tradition. There are different pathways within it. People, the young people, the millennials and the Z's, Mm. I love them. They are just open. They are not ashamed. They don't have any sort of apprehension. They know they want to be involved and they're they're doing scholarly work they're doing there's much more information now than ever because Mm -hmm. everyone's home and they're learning about books i hold groups on social media that help people to find resources it's blossoming it's booming because we're stuck at home and so what else are you going to do but learn You've got to invest in yourself and and, and then because just watching the news and uh, other things or movies, it seems like all those things, uh, they are not that good for us. But when yeah. you find some of the spiritual literatures that you can read, yes. uh, there is so much benefit there because it's not so much adulterated or contaminated by somebody's ideology trying to fool you in order to buy one thing or the other or follow a, a, a certain trend. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, 
it's beneficial if you have the eyes to see that this is my opportunity yes. to try and find myself and uh, invest yeah. in my uh, spirit because we are, I believe we are all uh, spiritual beings having a human experience. Or a human experiment. Yes, oh, yes. Interesting. But I, I want to bring this to a close so that you can go and take an app and wake up to marketing. Yay <laughs> Inspired me. marketing. Yay me. <laughs> <laughs> one or two questions. The first one is the ancestry connection. What is it that you do, your ancestors? Do they come and speak to you? You see them or it's just more of a registration of thoughts? Uh, feelings or anything of that nature what has been your experience have you seen your grandparents or great-grandparents whatsoever i've never had visions of um any of my ancestors that i can recall except for dreams that i've had of the ones that i knew um the a lot of it in terms of veneration is making sure they have light making in literally light like candles making sure um, it's, you know, it's like building a shrine for them, for instance, in mm -hmm. honor of them. I'm looking at mine right now. I have pictures of all the relatives that I could find that aren't here anymore. Um, I lost my brothers. I have pictures of my brothers up there. I lost my parents. I have pictures of my parents. I have pictures of a lot of people. I'm looking at it now. Wow, that wall is big. Um, also pictures of people in my tradition who have passed on. Um, and I give food, light, water, um, libations mm -hmm. to them to honor them. Um, and they work in my life, just like um, Orisha works. Um, my ancestors, I ask them to help me with all kinds of things. If I, you know, am having trouble at work. I will say, I need your help, you know? And through divination, it could be a two-way conversation, but we don't rely on divination every day. Some days you just have to use your instinct and your prayers to say, I need your help. And um, I hope you're doing well. Is If there's anything you need, please give me the inclination to provide you. Um, you want some cigars? You want a pack of cigarettes that you like? Did you have a favorite wine? And you feel these things, you flowers, you know, you give them flowers, just things to keep them light and elevated and ascending in the spirit, in the spirit world. Your goal is to inspire people to make a shift in lowering or eliminating their consumption of animal products to fight this ease. I say mm -hmm. this ease. Because the body is not at ease at a particular mm -hmm. time. So to mm -hmm. fight this ease and feel better in their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Advise the youth who are coming, you still have a long journey to go. Help them lower or eliminate their consumption of animal products. They have more insight than I do. And I think the youth care about the environment. Because when you're young, you don't really care about your mortality. I remember. Don't you remember? When you were young, you didn't think about, oh, this is for my health. Nobody thinks like that when they're young. Oh, for sure, we can share a brief experience. <laughs> I I did some stint in the rural areas, mm -hmm. and I never appreciated and the exposed to natural fruits in, in the forest, out there in the world. You take it for granted, right? hundred oh, percent. I appreciate right. it more now that I'm in the U.S. Now that you're older. But just nothing close to it. But you know what? 
um, the youth these days care about. They care about whether or not there's going to be an earth here when they're our age. And if you, uh, my daughter actually was plant-based before I was, and she's a huge advocate for the environment. And, you know, I spoke earlier about the carbon footprint, the emissions that mm-hmm. it takes to run these animal processing plants is destroying, destroying our environment, the gas emissions just mm-hmm. to, so people can eat animal flesh. You know what I'm saying? That is gross. So, so it is gross, but I think the youth are more in tune to that messaging mm-hmm. than anything else. And they also care about the animals themselves. My daughter um, is a huge um, advocate for um, animal um, welfare and being. And our young people care about the fact that animals are sentient beings. They really do care about this. You see young children, if you tell a young three-year-old where her chicken is coming from or where her beef is coming from, mm. they don't, you know what I mean? If mm. you tell them that, you ever see the look on a child's face when you tell them what they're eating? So those two components are enough, are used, um, I think, useful in inspiring our youth about, um, you know, living a plant-based life. Uh, will you just tell those who are listening uh, who may be interested to find more about you either in marketing or spirituality mm-hmm. or reversing disease? Mm-hmm. Well, right now, everything about me, <laughs> everything that's uh, available for publishing or good enough to publish is on my website, uh, thehungrymedium.com thehungrymedium.com. And right now I am talking about a workshop that I'm doing, The Power of Prayer, on March 28th from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. with Dr. Ayoka Wiles. It's going to be a very powerful two hours. It's only $20 for uh, two amazing, uh, thought-provoking, deep dive into um, The Power of Prayer and how to craft your own messaging uh, to God and spirit. Um, some people are lost for words. So this workshop mm. will help them uh, walk away with some tools to help them craft their own prayers. Um, and that's really all that's going down right now. There's so much I'm doing in social media, but for the most part, everything can be found on my website. Thank you so much, Kate Nambia. We've had some good time talking about some important things that I, I hope they are of great benefit to our audience. Hope to have you back in, in the near future. Sure, I'd love to be back. Thank you.